the gift of discouragement? A surprising amount of people do, you know. They're the ones who text or post things like, I don't have the energy to pretend like I like you. Or, your call will be ignored in the order it was received. I don't understand your specific kind of crazy, but I do admire your total commitment to it. (laughs) Dear life, when I asked if my day could get any worse, the question was only rhetorical. (laughs) The gift of discouragement. It's everywhere, isn't it? Which is sort of odd, because most people already have enough of that, don't they? The gift of discouragement. It's a a relationship that burns like sandpaper across the back of your sunburned hand. It's a job that eats at your soul like battery acid. It's a prodigal who, despite your prayers, seems farther away from God than ever. It's the bill you can't pay, the hurt you can't share, the sin that won't quit. Discouragement is everywhere. Meaning everybody could use some encouragement. Yet there are surprisingly few who actually excel at this. As followers of Jesus, you and I are called to a lifestyle of encouraging others. Onesiphorus lived it. And his very brief story is tucked away in the book of 2 Timothy. I invite you to turn there now. 2 Timothy chapter 1, way deep in your New Testament, 2 Timothy. Paul at this point is in prison. He's in Rome. It's dark. It's damp. It's just plain uncomfortable. Um, He's an old man, ready to die, and he knows death is coming. And yet, in these very few verses, scrawled on an a parchment in his drab gray cell. Paul draws a colorful sketch of someone whose life is definitely worth a second look. Let's read verses 15 through 17. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Boy, there's a surprising amount of detail in this little scene. What do you say you and I enroll in the school of encouragement and see what lessons we might be able to learn? What exactly did Onesiphorus or maybe you prefer Onesiphorus. What did he do to warrant, I could never get a reading on which was the correct pronunciation. What did he do to warrant Paul's commendation? Lesson number one, Paul says, he often refreshed me. He often refreshed me. What does it look like to refresh someone? I'll tell you, I love it when I'm working on a project in the summer, and it's hot and humid outside, and I'm sweating, and boom, Diana magically shows up with a glass of lemonade, heavy on the ice. That's refreshment. She has a knack for doing that. Refreshment. You bring someone a meal. Maybe you bring them a kind word. Mother Teresa once said, kind words can be short 
and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. Sometimes it's just a smile, a text, an email, a phone call, a visit, the scripture, a prayer. Refreshing someone costs very little, but it does take intentionality. Notice that verse 16 says of Anesiphorus, he often refreshed me. Meaning he did it more than once. It was a lifelong habit, not a feel good after Sunday morning service as I should probably do that kind of thing. Is refreshing others a, a once in a while thing for you? Or is it a, an everyday thing? 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, Therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Who is it in your life that could use some building up, some encouragement. It's amazing how God works out the timing. Many of us have been there. How many dog or cat owners do we have? Would you please raise your hands? Be bold, come on. That's it? Oh my goodness. Well, the few that are here that are in that world of cats and dogs and whatnot, you know what it's like probably to put one of those animals down. It's not a happy day. They're not people, but they, they're pretty close to us. And I remember the sadness I felt going to the vet with Houdini. We didn't name that cat that name. My mother-in-law did. But I took him to the vet. He was so sick. And, and it was so sad to kind of say goodbye. And I'd come home, and I admit to you, I was crying a little bit, a little bit. We were sad. And then the doorbell rings. What a weird moment for the doorbell to ring. It was our friend Art, who is legally blind. I was so grateful, forgive me, for his blindness. He couldn't see my tears, I was so embarrassed. Art walked in with a big smile and a, and a pile of gifts. A box of chocolates. And there was this big flashlight. Art knows that we like to go camping. He bought the mother of all flashlights. I mean, this thing is unbelievable. We call it the, the barrel of light. It's so huge and so bright. He had no special occasion other than the fact that God had put it on his heart to come and encourage us. Isn't that something? You know, recently Art showed up with a, with a honey-baked spiral-cut ham. Wow. Just gave it to us. Do we refresh others like that, like art? Lesson number two, Paul says of Onesiphorus, he was not ashamed of my chains. Verse 16. You know, by associating with Paul, Onesiphorus took very real risk on himself. Rome, certainly a model for justice, was not what it is today. And he uh, took on himself real risk associating with a, with a prisoner like Paul, guilt by association. And if not that, the risk of being labeled by others. Oh, you're friends with jail boy, huh? Oh, that's the kind of company you keep. But he, he didn't let that deter him. You know, people in jail don't need to be reminded of their guilt. They need to be reminded of their worth. You may not know the name of Kurt Schweig, but if you like fish and chips, you had better get to know the name of of his restaurants, Lawrence's Fish and Shrimp. 
It's got four locations, including Roosevelt Road in Lombard. Fabulous fish, and the fried shrimp is just off the charts. Several years ago, my friend Lud Anderson and I were guests of Kurt Schwag at one of his restaurants. And between bites of fried fabulousness, and it is that, uh, we learned about Kurt's faith in Christ and, and about his commitment, his strong commitment to giving convicted criminals a second chance. He hires them, goes out of his way to look for them, puts them throughout his organization in various levels of responsibility. Interesting. Bear in mind that this is uh, essentially a retail business, lots of interaction with customers, people, meaning no small risk for Kurt. But he does it anyway. You know, when, when we ate with Kurt, he had only one restaurant location. Today he has four. I think maybe God is blessing him for not being ashamed of someone else's chains. Max Licato says, none of us can help everyone, but all of us can help someone. And when we help them, we serve Jesus. Who would want to miss a chance to do that, right? But you know, not everybody in need of encouragement is wearing chains that you can see. Maybe it's chains of addiction, chains of childhood molestation, chains of bitterness, chains of constant anxiety. And encouraging at this level can just plain be a bit more costly. But the rewards are enormous. Paul says, he was not ashamed of my chains. Let's learn not to be ashamed of others' chains. Because we all have chains of some kind, right? Every one of us. Some of us are in prisons of our own making. Chuck Swindoll reminds us, discouraged people don't need more critics. They hurt enough already. They don't need more guilt or piled on distress. They need encouragement. They need a place of refuge, a place to hide and to heal. Are you that kind of refuge? You are, if you're not ashamed of others' chains. But there's a third lesson from the life of Onesiphorus in verse 17. It says, when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly. Wasn't easy to find Paul in Rome. Best estimates of, of Rome in Paul's day. Anyone, anyone want to guess the uh, population back then? 100,000, 500,000, million. Now the estimates are, get this, four to five million people. Just where was Paul? This is a whole lot worse than where was Waldo. <laughs> oh, he's in prison. Yeah, I, I, he's in, which prison? Where? Onesiphorus persisted and prevailed. And so must we. Galatians 6 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. My friend Jack is saved, but his cousin Carol is not. Get this now in, in, in the space of three months, Carol discovered she had lung cancer. She had surgery on that lung cancer. She had her husband taken from her, placed in a mental care facility against her will, suffered a stroke, and became paralyzed on her left side, was forced to leave her nice home and move into a nursing home. That's quite a, quite a string of three months. Jack felt God pushing him and his wife to step up 
to be an encourager. So they started mailing her cards, calling her on the phone, no visits because of COVID. After her surgery, they sent flowers. They've sent many cards since then, some of them with short gospel messages, and they pray for Carol regularly. Do you know Carol has several children and a whole bunch of grandchildren, and she said to Jack, not one. Not one of them sent flowers. Isn't it amazing to think that Christians like Jack and like you can be used to encourage non-believers? She's listening to a Christian radio station now because she knows that Jack is a believer. Calvin Miller says, God has committed to us the ministry of rebuilding destroyed people. Rebuilding destroyed people. We cannot do this unless we're sensitive enough to care about what's going on inside them. Why aren't we better at this? Because we don't want to get involved Because most people are so bent on appearing self-sufficient, they all but make it impossible for us to see their hurt. You relate? Are you willing to look beneath the surface? Willing to take the time to seek out the hurting Onesiphorus did? Lesson number four, he helped elsewhere. Verse 18 speaks of all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You can underline that. All the service. Serving and encouraging was his lifestyle. And the lifestyle is made up of daily choices. Is encouragement your jam? (laughs) Is it your thing? Do you say more negative things or positive things? Ask your spouse, your kids. They know. Are you known for your encouragement Or your criticism. Your friends know. I know I have lots to learn. Romans 15 verse 2. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good. To his edification. Do you know the easiest job in the church? The easiest job in the church. It's the cynic. Anyone can do it. So most people do. (laughs) It's easy to take shots at other people. Easy to say, that ministry idea won't work. Easy to criticize the pastor's sermon. Easy to say, boy, the board did not get that right at all. Search the Bible. You will not find one place where God is looking for a critic. (laughs) There's no such thing as the spiritual gift of discouragement, though you'd swear some people have it. There are no critics listed in Hebrews 11 Faith Hall of Fame. Being an encourager, now that that takes a real man, a real woman, a real heart for God. Be careful how you greet people. Everyone is hurting over something. Everyone needs an encourager. On the weekends, I do overnight hours for Moody Radio. And over the course of this six-hour shift, I speak 30 little times. Of those 30, one, maybe two, that's it. Two times, at the most, I will invite people, hey, if you've got something you want me to pray for, you need a little encouragement, I'll be glad to pray for you. 
Can I share with you what came in this morning, just before I came to church? Please pray. I'm a 44-year-old slave to sin, porn, sex, and a host of sins that I don't like. I want to be free and live free. Please pray. I'm struggling with my prayer life. I feel like I'm losing hope. Please pray. I need a a place to be for Thanksgiving. My circle of people is very small. Please pray. My prodigal son has been hospitalized five times this year for drugs. We kicked him out. May God heal his addiction. That's this morning. Be careful how you greet people. Everyone's hurting over something. Calvin Miller says we need to become skilled at seeing inner brokenness. It will not be easy. Hurt hides. Most of those who know pain never reveal their suffering, but it lodges in their souls, killing, strangling, suffocating. Such wounds kill from the inside out. Only when we train ourselves to see with the eyes of Christ Will we be able to penetrate people's affable armor and see that in spite of their grinning facade, they are bleeding? I teach an undergraduate class at Moody Bible Institute called Voice and Performance. It's all about uh, voiceover work, commercials, character voices, audiobook narrations, that kind of thing. And at the very core of what we do is read. Out loud, tons of times. Uh, We go over scripts every single class. They bring in homework of stuff that they recorded for that class. I critique them. Students critique themselves back and forth. It's nothing but performance and criticism. That's what it is. It's the only way to get better. And uh, eventually, inevitably, some student will finally kind of say, you know, I I really don't have a, a great radio voice. And that's when I pounce on them. I say, don't you ever say that about yourself again. God has designed your voice exactly the way he wants it. It's a great voice. It's a wonderful voice. He loves it. In fact, there isn't one single thing about God's creation in you that isn't awesome. You're great the way you are. You don't have to lose a single pound or wish you were an inch taller or had bigger hair. You don't need to be more beautiful or more handsome. There isn't a single thing about you that God is not thrilled with right now. In fact, he's just plain crazy about you. You know, every single time I have given this talk, never fails, I see tears in their eyes. Every time I've given that talk, college-age boys and girls are crying. Why is that? It's because they're desperate for that very word of encouragement. And maybe that's the word you need to hear right now, most, yourself. Let me say those wonderful words again. You don't need to lose a single pound. You don't need to be an inch taller or have bigger hair or better hair or even some hair. 
You don't need to be more beautiful or more handsome. You don't have to wish your past wasn't your past. God is thoroughly, totally, hopelessly crazy about you. And now that you've heard that, maybe it's time to pass it on. That's what an encourager does, you know. Just ask Onesiphorus. Wanted, an encourager, a man or woman committed to building up others more than self, must be willing to listen without lecture. Our ideal candidate is presently enrolled in or recently graduated from the school of hard knocks. Those who have their act together need not apply. Those too self-absorbed in their own hurts need not apply. But for those willing to walk in the sandals of the Savior, those committed more to refreshment than judgment, to comfort more than criticism, there's a place for you on every corner in town. So grab a cup of cold water. Thirsty folks are everywhere. Thirsty for encouragement. Lord Jesus, would you help us be encouragers? Forgive us for reaching for criticism and cynicism. Forgive us for not conceding, let alone living differently because everybody's hurting over something. Form within us the heart of Jesus who said, look not every man on his own things but also on the things of others. Help us be encouragers today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.